bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, Rebecca. Hi. We are uh, exploring her broken life. One Broken Life is a podcast by Freeway Ministries to where we explore the, the lives of individuals who have, have a history of uh, many of them drug addiction or criminal background. And you hear about the negative impacts, the negative impact that drugs, crime have on our community. We have fatherless homes. Uh, they're building prisons. They're, they're staying full. But what you don't hear about is the positive impact that one radically changed ex-drug addict and ex-criminal makes in our community whenever the Lord gets a hold of them. And so today we're going to explore Rebecca's broken life. And so I'm so glad that you came on the show with us today. Uh, we just had a laughing session, and so we could not stop laughing. So I'm <laughs> glad we got through that. Uh, but one of the theme verses of our podcast is um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And Paul's in prison, and he says, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel or to advance the gospel, to move it forward. And um, another uh, scripture that we use a lot is Psalms fifty-one seventeen. It says, a sacrifice of God are a broken and contrite heart, and uh, that, that God will not despise a broken heart. And so we're going to talk about this episode, episode one with you, of that place where you went, your broken place, right? What led you to that? Because a lot of times people will uh, look at our past, even church members that we are friends with and go to church with, and they don't understand what the history of our lives was like, like how our homes were and, and what brought us to that place. And so I want to share, I want you to just kind of share a few minutes on what was your life like growing up, Rebecca? Okay. <clears throat> well, um, I'm from Kansas City. Um, my parents were married when I was born. I have an older sister. And when I was five, my parents divorced. Um, they were both addicts and just regular people, you know. There wasn't, like, abuse in my home um, or anything like really crazy. It was just a normal, broken, worldly home, you know. Um, when my parents divorced, my dad moved down here to Springfield, and I was raised by my mom. Um, she got remarried when I was seven or something, and so I had a stepdad, and we didn't really get along, you know, nobody. Um, it wasn't a very, like, 
it wasn't a very like good home, but it wasn't really a bad home either. It was just a regular childhood, you know, but my mom did have a drinking problem and didn't turn into a drug problem and stuff like that. And by the time I was in seventh grade, um, they got divorced and we all just kind of went like super wild at that point. My mom, especially, she got into really hard drugs and she just kind of went off the deep end. And we were, I was in eighth grade and 13 years old. And, um, I got arrested three times in eighth grade. Um, they like adjudicated me, made me a ward of the court and they did leave me with in my mom's custody. But, um, I had to go to like AA and so do you're 13 that. years old in an AA mm-hmm. meeting. What's yeah. that like? Um, I did really good in AA. Like I loved it. And I, you know, um, I was leading AA meetings at the age of 13. Wow. And um, all the all the people there, like really, they took to me, you know what I mean? And like adopted me as a kid, you know? So I, I just grew up quick. So you were adopted by Alcoholics Anonymous at age 13. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I made friends with them, you know, like we hung out. So, you know, and, um, Hopefully and you I weren't smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee outside. Oh, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely was. <laughs> so I'm just going to stop you because this is a crazy story. So you were 13 years old, smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee at an AA meeting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Bizarre. That's the craziest thing I've heard. Today. I guess it is kind of <laughs> now that you mention it. My yeah. son's fourteen. Okay. So just imagine him at an AA meeting, drinking yeah. coffee and smoking cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, that's so, crazy. I can't imagine that. <laughs> yeah, well, that was you. A year. My kids are, you know, yeah. about that age. Yeah, that's hard to imagine. It I makes guess you you're think right. A little yeah. different, doesn't it? When yeah. it's not you. So I grew ahead. up quick. I grew up quick. Okay. And um, my mom and I kind of bonded over that because she was also going to AA at a different location. Um, so we kind of like, we did bond a little bit there, but it didn't last, you know, I got off probation and started, you know, smoking weed that same day and, um, just continued to like grow up. And I like, I had those like fundamental principles that I learned there, you know, and I, I learned about God there, although I had also gone to church as a kid with my grandma and stuff. So, um, but I, I had formed a God of my own understanding like they teach you there. You know what I mean? And so I kind of had that in my back pocket growing up and um, planned on, like, I knew I was going to go back to that one day. Like, I knew I was going to not be, I didn't want to be an addict my whole life. I just wanted to have fun while I was young. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of the mentality I had going through high school and stuff was I'm just going to do what I want. And, uh, and I'll figure the rest out later, you know? Okay. Wow. Um, so you talked about marijuana and stuff like that. So let's just kind of talk. So you were how old when you started using drugs? 12. Okay. And so what was your, like, what was your bridge to all the narcotics and stuff like that? I mean, smoking pot, drinking alcohol, that was like, that was what we did. The first time I ever smoked pot was like, hit the ground running, you know? I mean, it was a daily thing after that. Like, I loved it, you know? I I loved hanging out with my friends and just doing that. I tell people all the time that the pot, the weed dealer knows where the mess at. Yeah. And the weed dealer knows where the cocaine's at. Yeah. 
and the heroin. And so when they run out of weed, what do you think they're going to do? I mean, they're going to, they're hustlers. So yeah. if they're running marijuana, they're going to sell something else, right? Yeah, that, I mean, for me, it wasn't like, I, no one like was pushing drugs on me or my friends, you know, like we just, we became curious on our own. And so it led into that. We did, you know, acid and cocaine, but I didn't even know about meth until I had graduated high school and praise God for that because. Go ahead. I'm going to catch it. Look at that. (laughs) Praise God for that because I don't know. My life could have taken a totally different turn had I started that even earlier than I did. You know what I mean? So. So my next question is, so as how long have you been clean and sober? Three years. Almost. It'll be three years on April 2nd, so. So, since you've been 12, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 37. 37. So, it was 23 or 24 years in addiction. So, in 20, 23, 24 years in addiction, you have been clean for the first time? Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> there were like months, a couple months. Okay. Yeah. So, what's that feel like? Amazing. Yeah. It feels amazing. So let's kind of just walk through this together. So you're three years, mm-hmm. three a little bit more than three years sober. First time in 20-something years since you've been 12 years old. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of talk about that because there's a reason you're clean and sober today, and it's not because you wanted to quit. It's not because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps or went to a 12-step meeting. So I just want to kind of... Go backwards a little bit. What brought you to your place of brokenness? Because our theme, One Broken Life, right, is that um, God doesn't despise a broken heart. Mm-hmm. And the things which happen to us actually turns out to advance the gospel, and that's what God's doing through your life. Yeah. So the things which happen to you, your BC moment, where you, before Christ is kind of where we're at right now. So what brought you to that place of brokenness? Let's talk about that. So you 12 years old, going through school, using... Uh, exploring different drugs, curious. Mm -hmm. And then, so let's just kind of talk about what brought you to that place of brokenness. Well, um, you know, 23 years is a long time to seek that satisfaction that you never find, you know, to always be trying to get more of whatever it is I was doing, never having enough ever. And um, I think God began to reveal himself to me um, when I was about 25. Um, I found out I was pregnant with twins in the abortion clinic. And and he began to work in my life at that point. Um, it's a long story. I don't know how much you want me to tell. Go you ahead. That, but. Share it. <clears throat> People um, need to hear that. so I was just, you know, um, I had kind of tried to climb this corporate ladder at my job, moved, uh, out of state and, you know, was moving up in the company and, um, it all came crashing down. I lost my job one day out of nowhere. And I, I had like, my whole life was this job. You know what I mean? Um, it was everything about me. And so when they, when I lost my job, I lost my identity, you know? So I turned to, um, well, I, you know, I turned to men, I guess. So 
I got pregnant, and um, he did not want to, we didn't even know each other, you know, Um, and so he thought the best thing would be that we have an abortion, never thought that I would be faced with a decision like that, and I will, I will never forget how hard of a decision that was, because it wasn't just my decision, it was, it was affecting this person too, and also our child, you know, and, um, so I did decide to have the abortion and he took me to Planned Parenthood in St. Louis. Um, meanwhile, my mom had just gotten out of prison. We hadn't, we were not close at all. My mom, in my opinion, was kind of stupid. Um, I'll just say it. She knows how I feel, you know? I mean, she was ridiculous. She was a mess. And she had just spent, you know, 10 or more years just acting so dumb. And she was a terrible mom, you know? And um, so we didn't really talk, but she had just gotten out of prison. She had found God. Um, she was in a prayer group. And she would um, she would tell you, she, they were praying for me, and I didn't even know it. You know, they were praying that I would change my mind, that God would change my mind. Did she try to talk you out of it? She did. Yeah. And I was like, I got to go. Yeah. You know, you're stupid. <clears throat> so, but God worked through her prayers. And I believe that God knew the only thing that would change my mind was giving me another one to think about. And uh, I found out I was having twins in the abortion clinic and um, I decided to keep them. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So tell us how that happened. You're leaving me and you're leaving our friends in suspense. So how do you find out you have twins in an abortion clinic? Um, well, they, you know, they did an ultrasound and they asked me if I wanted to see the baby. And I was like, no, (laughs) I don't. And they said, do you want to know if it's multiples? And I was not expecting that question. I was like, multiples. Yeah. Let me know if it's multiples. And she said, it's multiples. And I started, I actually started laughing and then I started crying. <laughs> and then I, I left the room and went and cried and, um, for a couple hours in the stairwell calling my friends and my sister, um, trying to work through that while he was in the waiting room. Like, he was ready to still do it, you know. But um, the nurse, uh, she was like, you can't do this today. So she, she made the deciding fact. You know, this because you were too upset. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. So I had the option of coming back tomorrow, but I said, just take me home. And so thankfully. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but I'm sure that was a pretty difficult car ride home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah. God used that, right? He did, you know, and I will say um, the pregnancy was super hard. And very, very emotional, very scary. I didn't know God. Um, I didn't have a support system. I didn't, I was freaked out. <laughs> but I knew that it was the right thing to do, and I wanted to do it, you know. And um, their dad said that when, you know, they were born, that he was not going to leave them without a father. And um, when they were born, he was there. Good. And he never left. He was a really good dad um, right from day one. So um, the problem was that he was an addict. 
And so after the boys were born, um, we started using drugs together. And when, you know, and I had a really good job that had paid like a lot of maternity leave. And, um, and so I thought, well, I'm going to take this maternity leave. I have three months of pay, you know, I'm going to figure out this mom thing, get, you know, uh, high, lose a bunch of weight, you know, like, um, I just thought that I would just do these couple of things, get these affairs in order and then go back to work and like, you know, be super mom. But that's not how that happened at all. I became a full blown addict. Um, uh, by the time it was time to go back to work, I had started using, um, Ivy, uh, for the first time in my life. And you and him together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was he already an IV user? Yeah. Okay. So, and the, like, everything went downhill, like, so fast. You know, we did not get along ever. Right. And um, so we fought all the time, and, you know, um, I don't want to paint, like, this terrible picture of him because, you know, he was an addict, too. Like, he's not a bad guy. Two to tango. Yeah. And so um, we were... We were together for the boys. They were 18 months old when we finally um, split. And it was it was an abusive relationship on both of our parts. Um, we just did not get along. And so the best thing for us to do was to split. So um, this whole time, my mom had been walking with God. She had been staying faithful to God. And she had been preaching Jesus, and I was just like, I mean, it started to, like, become evident that maybe, finally, it was like, she was different, you know? And so she talked me into moving to Kansas City uh, with the boys, and so I moved up there. I got plugged in with a uh, ministry that gave me an apartment, a fully furnished um, two-bedroom apartment, and... um, and I had the boys, and um, he took me for custody and was able to obtain temporary custody in the blink of an eye. And uh, it blindsided me and devastated me. And, you know, so it was, it was not what I was expecting, and it totally put a wrench in my plans, but, um, God used it like, you know, he promises that he will. And so it did bring me to a place of brokenness. My mom invited me to church with her and, you know, I saw him like he really changed her. Yeah. She was different. She was not the mom I knew growing up. She was totally different. And I wanted that. I wanted that, and I saw the goodness in her, and she, like, you know, my family didn't believe her, and why would they? We've heard this all our lives, right? you know, but um, she, for the first time ever, she just didn't care, (laughs) and she just kept going to church anyways, and praising the Lord anyways, and reading her Bible anyways, and it was beautiful. (laughs) Amen. And so... I call that consistent change behavior. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, it's like, why do you watch NASCAR? 
<laughs> you know, you don't, you watch do it. Do people watch that really? They do, yeah. Is that a You're going to offend somebody right now. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Chris Rhodes will be offended by that because he I'm is so the sorry. biggest NASCAR fan. <laughs> but um, <laughs> people watch NASCAR for the wreck. Mm. They're waiting to see the crash. Mm. Okay. And uh, a lot of times that's why people are waiting for people like your mom. Okay, yeah. she's going to crash. But she didn't. She didn't, and she still hasn't. And it's she's consistent not change behavior. Yeah. And, and that's what got you. I call, it, um, I call it a living amends. She began to break the pattern of whatever was going on in, in our family. Um, right then and there, Jesus was breaking the pattern. Like, he is the cycle breaker, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just been... It's been amazing. Uh, my mom has, she's my mom now. Like she's there for me and she's, she's fought for me and she's taught me through just, yeah, consistency and um, through Jesus Christ, you know, like she's different. And that's, that's the reason that I am different. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a beautiful story, Rebecca, and uh, it gets better. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was just the beginning. <laughs> I want to ask you a couple questions, kind of lead you a direction here. Uh, for people listening and watching, uh, who'd you look up to growing up? Mm. Who's your role model? My older sister. Okay, who's her role model? I have no idea. Because the, the masculine or the feminine figure in your life, whether it's a woman, you know, that dominant female and that dominant man if you're you know a male has a big role in your life yeah we were both lacking um parental role basically because my mom was my mom was not there for us we were i mean not neglected like some kids are but we were emotionally neglected we weren't we weren't taught anything we were just like left to figure it out that's what we were yeah you know so As, as growing up i understand that my, my older sister didn't ever know her real dad, and my dad was down here, and we would see him, um, you know, sometimes during the summer and maybe at Christmas. So was there a time in your life where you tried to get sober on your own? Um, yeah, yeah. How, how'd that work out? Well, it didn't. <laughs> um, especially when I started using IV drugs. Like, before the needle, I was pretty good at I mean like I was always I always had a job and I was always like managing my life fairly well you know um I was like a functioning addict people didn't necessarily know that I was what I was doing you know I didn't ever let anybody close to me you know what I mean so um and I had nobody checking in on me and I was kind of a bully so I didn't like people stayed away Okay. You know, but after I started using the needle, like there was no really, there was really no like functioning to that. I mean, like I functioned still for eight years, but I was a mess. I was so, I was such a mess. And I like lost countless jobs, countless opportunities, threw them all away. I mean, I got my real estate license, threw that away. Um, you know. So if you were going to think back at your darkest moment, where was that at? Mm. Let me give you an illustration. 
So I don't like to give the devil uh, airtime or make it seem glamorous to be in sin and live our lifestyle. We just had 32 youth from Denton, Texas come up here. And we work with them, you know that. And I always t- I try to tell them over and over again, you don't have to have a war story to have a story. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I try to sometimes give a picture illustration of my past to let people know how bad of a time my dark. I'll give you a dark moment for me. I remember uh, not taking a bath or changing my clothes for weeks at a time. I was homeless, and I remember uh, going to the projects in the low income housing where I'm from in Jeff City. Uh, in East Side Jeff City on Elm Street. If somebody's listening and from Jeff City, you know right where that's at. And um, uh, anyways, there was two projects, and one was called Big Chocolate, one was called Little Chocolate. That's just the street name where they they you if you you go there and you say that they know what you're talking about. And uh, and I was on I was going to Big Chocolate, and uh, uh, I went to a dope house to knock on the door to try to find a place to sleep, you know. And they told me to take my socks off and take my shoes off and put them in a trash bag. And then they had me go take a shower as soon as I got there and put my clothes in a trash bag. And then put my trash, put all my stuff outside so it wouldn't stink up the house. Like that is who I used to be. That was a dark time for me. Mm -hmm. So do you understand what I mean by a dark moment? Dark time. Where, Where was your dark? Give us a picture of your darkest place. Well, a few come to mind, um, especially with eight years of IV drug use. They just start stacking up some pretty bad stuff. Um, but I will say um, we got bed bugs one time, and things got really crazy. So um, just trying to manage. We didn't have electricity. Um, we... I had a car that had stolen plates that wasn't registered, and the cops knew my car. I had I was on probation, and I was running from my probation officer, trying to manage and juggle a, a toxic relationship um, with an infestation at our home. We didn't have electricity. I was um, trying to continue to lie to my kid's dad. And still trying to manage being a mom from a distance and sell drugs while running from the cops, driving, going left to go right and south to go north. And I mean, taking back roads just to get out of town to go buy more drugs so that I could sell them and go to the casino. Yeah. <laughs> like Just trying to do the most. And that was a great plan back then, <laughs> wasn't it? I mean, that's the, that's the big It shit. was so psychotic (laughs) and just it was so stressful yeah and I wanted out of that so bad but I didn't know how I knew that the only way to get me out of that was I knew it was going to be God I knew God and I wanted to be right with God but um, I was so high that I couldn't do it on my own and so my prayer was constantly just that God would save me for myself and he finally did (laughs) amen yeah how many treatment centers have you been to um so i went to a couple um you know over the years definitely a couple of pretty expensive ones that you know i had good jobs um that would have insurance that would pay for that kind of thing like um several times i went to inpatient treatment 
um, okay. all over the place. Yeah. So did you think you would ever change? I, I planned on eventually. Yeah. Eventually I always knew I wasn't going to live like that wasn't sustainable. Okay. You know, I wanted it. I wanted to change for a long time. So if I gave you a pen and paper three years ago and I said, I want you to write out the next three years of your life for me and put it in an envelope and give it to me and open it up three years later, do you think it would have been, you would have been right? Well, three years ago is when I stepped into the doors at Freeway. And, uh, and I remember you challenging me to sign a blank contract. And I was all in on that. That was good advice, you know, um, because what I had been doing wasn't working. And I was done trying. I had tried it all. I had tried every bit of, like, managing this but not that. I mean, I would... <laughs> try to portion control my drugs. I mean, it was a mess. You know what I mean? I tried doing this drug and not that drug or drinking this and whatever. Giving one addiction up for another. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of times when people justify drinking Making alcohol. Making promises, all of it. I tried everything. Yeah. None of it was working. I am a an all or nothing kind of person. So I'm either going to do it or I'm not. And so when I came here, I was, I was ready to surrender and I was ready to sign that blank contract. So Rebecca's talking about uh, a blank contract with God. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I challenge people to do is sign a blank, blank contract with God and let him fill it out. Yeah. And you just say, I'm in. Yeah. And you fill, you fill the contract out. I'll sign it. Here's my name, whatever you want me to do. Yeah. And God's taking you on a really neat ride. Rebecca has graduated from our discipleship program. And how long have you been out of the house? Um, two years almost. So we have a one-year-long discipleship program and live-in home. And uh, Rebecca has successfully graduated that. And I just real quick, we are out of time. We're going to keep going a little bit um, because we're going to explore the past into the what brought you to the broken place. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about where you are today and what God's doing in your life. So can you just tell us, how did you end up at Freeway? Well, because um, I was on probation, and I was running from that. And um, finally, they put me in jail after about six months of being in drug court and promising to get clean and promising to go to treatment. And sometimes I would even go to detox down the road. Um, a couple of different times I would go to detox, and then, I mean, I would be high as soon as I was out. And um, I had a capious warrant, and, you know, they finally put me in jail, and um, then they would not let me out until I was either going to go to prison or they did decide they were going to give me one shot at, at, like, a sober living house. They gave me three choices. You guys were on the list, and I knew Freeway was where I wanted to go because I had heard what you guys were doing here. And I knew that you guys walked with God. Like I knew this was a Christ centered ministry that I wanted to be a part of. Amen. Yeah. So that is where I wanted to go. I applied for, um, the, uh, women's house while I was in jail. What jail? Um, well, I was at green County, but they had farmed me out to like Miller County. Okay. And so it was disgusting there. <laughs> and when, I was freaked out. <laughs> when she says farmed out, she what she means, because, you know, a lot of people, they don't get those terms. Oh, So they, yeah. they 
jails that are overpopulated have contracts with other jails that aren't overpopulated and they rent space. And so you were sent out to another place. And they usually do that with people that won't bond out, can't bond out. Somewhere, yeah. You know. And they weren't giving me any answers. So I had no idea how long I was going to be there. And I was so scared. I had never really been to jail before, besides for a couple of days. You wasn't a bully anymore, was you? No. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work in Miller County. No. <laughs> okay. So so you get it. You get to freeway. And uh, just a couple things, and we're going to. We're going to stop this episode, but um, uh, in, 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 in the program, you have to serve mm-hmm. to live in the home. You have to have a place where you give back and you serve. So where did you, where was your first place of serving? Uh, the very first time I served was on transportation, um, but then it was like simultaneously within the treatment ministry. So I was going and picking up uh, girls from the local treatment center, and then we would, like, get them food and water and um, pray with them and stuff like that, take them to the clothing ministry. So I just hung out with girls like me, you know. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Do you ever fear relapse? I mean, I don't, like, live in fear, but, I mean, I know that it's, I know that it's just one dumb mistake away, so... Yeah, I mean, that's something that you always got to be careful of. You know what I mean? I'm excited to share the rest of your story. I'm excited. <laughs> it's going to be really good. And so... God is good. Uh, God has done some really amazing things. Uh, he, What God's done, we just, you know, where God brought you to your broken place. What God is doing and what we believe God is going to do is next. And so thank you for sharing your broken life. Thank and, you. And... Uh, if you've enjoyed One Broken Life, uh, would you do me a favor and go to our subscribe button uh, and share it, share it, subscribe, like our Facebook page. Um, if you would like to donate, this is a, uh, a production of Freeway Ministries, and you can go to our website at freeway-ministries.com, and you can become a partner of ours and help us continue to reach One Broken Life at a time. See you all next episode. God bless.